So we are starting a teaching series that's uh, going to be every weekend now through Memorial Day. We're calling Airplane Mode, we're trying to adjust to the biggest communication shift in 500 years is where we find ourselves. I mean, since the printing press, the ability to share communication, the written word, and way more than that has happened in our lifetime. And so it looks, what do, it, it begs the question, what does it look like? What do the timeless principles of our faith look like lived out with what's going on around us? So we're going to be talking about how do, we, how do we master this, not be mastered by it, right? Not be addicted to it. How do we go, as he said, from friend lists to friendships? How do we have those real deep relationships, and how do we be people who are deep in a world that celebrates some things that are pretty shallow? How do we have that deep relationship with our creator? And Mother's Day, we're going to talk about how do we parent in this digital age? How, how do we shepherd the next generation in something that we might not have yet mastered ourselves? And Mother's Day, we're going to take a uh, portraits of families as well, so make sure you bring, bring back the kids. You guys, like, man, some of you guys, I've never seen you with your shirts tucked in. This is, this is really something. I mean, this is, wow. I know it's uncomfortable, but uh, you get used to it. You get used to it. So really glad that you're here this morning as we kick off this series, but really, we start with what is the foundation of our faith, the resurrection. Did it happen or not? The sermon title is, is this, I know it's ridiculous, know it sounds ridiculous, but this is what happened. This is what happened. I mean, it really it catches the disciples off guard for sure what happens. Jesus' followers, this was their testimony. I know this sounds ridiculous, but this is what happened. The renowned physicist and, and famous, because he was on Big Bang Theory, uh, Professor Stephen Hawking. You know, Stephen Hawking, he passed away just uh, 13, 14 months ago. But uh, world famous, brilliant thinker, all sorts of theories and things. I was reading uh, one of his lectures called Life in the Universe, and he, not a Christian, right? You know, not maybe a militant atheist, but... For sure an atheist, and they, you know, there's no deathbed conversion in his situation. He, he, he died an atheist, but this, this lecture, Life in the Universe, he says evolution's reached an amazing point. It's, it's an amazing thing that we don't just pass down our genes and our DNA, you know, these, these million bits of information about who we are, but now we pass on more than that. He says we, the information in the age that we live in can be changed and updated much more rapidly than ever before. Hundreds of thousands of new books published every year. All of this information. And he says, of course, the great majority of this information is garbage and no use to any form of life, which is quite a judgment, but maybe not that far off. A lot of what we create and store and say is garbage, right? What you ate for dinner doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter in the past, but we took pictures of it. He says some people would use the term evolution to only talk about the in, internally uh, transmitted genetic material and would object to it being applied to any information handed down externally. And he says, I think that's too narrow of a view. 
We're more than just our genes. We may be no stronger, inherently more intelligent than our ancestors, but what distinguishes us from them is the knowledge we have accumulated over the last thousands of years, particularly over the last, he says, 300, as we've been able to share what we have learned from ages past. I was looking at a statistic, and we've actually reached the tipping point where there are more people who have access to the internet than don't worldwide. Four billion people have access to the internet, according to people who you know do this sort of thing for a living, tracks information like that. That means more than half of the world can access those cute cat videos that you want to put up, Jared. I mean, that's, that's exciting. It's a, real, it's a real great day. Or, but they can learn also how to, how to fix their car, how to fix their home, how to fix their hair. All of that. I mean, just amazing the information that can be shared and the audience that you might be able to sit yourself in front of. The, I could bring out my phone right now and connect with dozens, if I did something really stupid, maybe even thousands of people would want to see what had happened. And so how do we deal with, with that power that we have to do something really stupid and have it multiplied and played out thousands of times? But also, what do we do with all of that information that is accessible? How do we know what's true and what's not? Now, this isn't a new question. How do we know what's true and what's not? We often consider the source. You know, you lied to me once. I'm going to, that's, that's, that's a strike. I'm not sure if I'm going to believe you the next time face to face. But when we're dealing with who knows who wrote this article that I'm reading, who knows? I mean, maybe that stat I shared with you that 4 billion people have access to the internet, maybe that's garbage. I don't know, right? Like, that's just... Yeah. But I didn't just go to, like, you know, somebody at blogspot.com and find that, Right? You go to what looks like a reliable source. Because long before our, our president coined the term fake news, it's, there's fake news out there. And so how do we determine what is true and what isn't true? The big companies, even the governments, are trying to do that. Google, Facebook, they're trying to say, they're trying to filter for us because they, they want to help us, whether we want them to or not. They want to filter what's true and what's not. And that's, that's a lot of power that they want to wield. But also we do it, right? Like if you read something, you look at what's the source, you know. There's a cure for cancer. Okay, is ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, are they the ones who are sharing that? Maybe, maybe it's true if they said. But even just in the last six months, a, a reporter who was reporter of the year said that he was fabricating his stories. And they took it back from the main news outlets. So we don't believe everything that we read. And for a long time, we haven't believed every, believed every picture that we've seen, right? We know that there's Photoshop out there. For the longest time, it was just professionals who could retouch it. Now, anybody can, can retouch things. But there's this new thing called, with videos, and we've seen this for years, movie magic, right? It's pretty amazing stuff. These, these books that we never thought would come to life. Now we see these things before our eyes. But now there's this thing called video deep fakes. So you can take, with software that's available to any of us, you can take somebody's face, and somebody took Jennifer Lawrence's acceptance speech and put Steve Buscemi's face on it, which is hilarious. This guy plays a lot of really fun roles. And this isn't professional. This isn't millions of dollars. This is just some guy who had way too much time on his hands 
doing that. And there's way too many pictures of Steve Buscemi out there. And so now, do you believe that he gave that speech or not? Well, you know, no, we, we wouldn't. But just think what's coming. There'll be soon, and, and this scares governments, this scares people, that there could be videos created that we're not to believe anymore. And, you know, I've preached a lot of Easter sermons, and, and I've often thought, you know, I wish I could just show them the security camera footage of, of, of Jesus walking out of the tomb. If, he, if there was only one of those, what was it, the, what's that doorbell called with the ring? Like, if there only would have been a ring on Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, right? And we could see Jesus, oh, that's the back, yeah, he's walking out, right? Like, if we could see that, Jesus, you, you rose from the dead in the wrong year, should have waited till 2019. Then it'd be uploaded to the Amazon cloud and we'd all be able to see it. But even now we would go, but did he? But did he? There are people who saw the resurrection and still doubted. There are people who, who still today lived through the Holocaust and people don't believe them. We have the video up. No. Some people do not want to believe. But there is this deep core question of did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, that would mean this book is true. And so that's, that's a quite fundamental question. I mean, if, you, if, you, if it's not totally settled in your mind, keep coming back. But really, why would we change our behaviors? Why, why wouldn't we just let the strong rule over the weak? Why wouldn't we just let our kids sit in front of YouTube for eight hours a day and say, well, if there's no moral authority in this world, if there's no creator, and if when we die, it, we just die and we return to nothing, or the, this, as, as Stephen Hawking calls it, this brain is just like a machine and one day it turns off and then that's, you know, it gets too broken and it falls apart. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why not? I mean, it's a little fatalistic. It's a little like, oh, geez, what a downer this guy is, right? But he did rise from the dead. I want to read to you from uh, Matthew, a man named Matthew's account of Easter. And I know you're going to say, well, you're using the Bible now to prove that the Bible is true. That's circular reasoning. Yes, I, I got you there. But at least you have to listen to the claim of truth. At least you have to listen to, to what, what they said, and then we'll talk a little bit outside of it, because the disciples didn't originally walk around and say, hey, we wrote it down in a holy book. Listen to us. Everybody was like, who cares? Like, you, you, got, you got a book. Great. It's called paper. Anybody can write on it. But something actually happened. There, there was a resurrection, and here's the story. Here's the claim. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was to Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, 
do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right there at the end, do you see that even some, I mean, he's there, he's the risen Lord, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, all four of the Gospels, these written accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection, all four of them paint the disciples as people who are really messed up by these la- this last week, these three days of Jesus' life. They are not to be pictured as people going, wow, everything's going right according to plan, right? Like we expected that they would kill him. No, their, their thought was, remember last Palm Sunday, if you're here, He's the king. He's going to overthrow Rome. This is going to go great for us. We're going to be in charge. No, they're, they're crushed. They're disheartened. They're dismayed. They're dispirited. There are a lot of disses, disappointed, disillusioned. You know, they're, they are messed up, and then suddenly they're not. On Friday, Saturday, and even on Sunday, some who have heard about the resurrection from the women, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're just like, We don't know what to do. Jesus shows up to them and doesn't immediately say, hey, I rose from the dead. He starts, and boy, I wish we had the recording of how he connected it all together because in the resurrection, he connected it all together, and then their eyes were open, and they go, oh, my goodness, it's him. If anybody made preparations for this resurrection, as they would have put quotes around it, it was the Pharisees. It was the leading priests. They're going... They might, the disciples might try to pull some fake news on us. They might try to fabricate a resurrection. It's a classic weekend at Bernie's worry, right? They're worried. They're going to put some glasses on Jesus, sunglasses, right? And march him around, put strings on his hands. And they're going to say that he rose from the dead. So they say, hey, put a guard there. They never think that the guy in the tomb is the one they should be trying to keep in. They're thinking they have to keep people out. And so as you read this account, some of you who don't believe the scripture, you go, well, that's obvious. As you wrote it, you're trying to make other people sound like fakers, right? So your fake news is tied in it with other people faking news. So you're saying that your fake, your fake news is faking the fake news, I think I said that right, right? Like, I mean, we're trying, like, oh, yeah, you've crafted it, right, Christians, that you put it in there, that they would do this. Well, if it did happen this way, then their first fake news, their, their 
worry, the dis, not the disciples, but the priests, the Pharisees, to keep him in the tomb. That doesn't work. So then they have to fabricate a story that, oh, some fishermen overpowered Roman soldiers who would lose their life if they didn't succeed at their job, that they came in while they were sleeping. They called in Olivia Pope and she said, that works, right? Let's cover the scandal. So the question, did he rise from the dead? And okay, the Bible says this is how it happened. It sounds ridiculous, but did it happen? You know, Easter doesn't hang on its own in history. The resurrection for some of you, you're like, what, what does that have to do? So it's like the end of a movie that you haven't been watching, right? Like it doesn't, it's not, it's the last part of the trilogy. And you're like, I didn't even see the first two parts. It's, it's some of you, you have this attitude about Avengers Endgame. You're like, man, not going to see it, right? Because I didn't see the other ones before. Or Iron Man 2 turned me off. Not Iron Man 2. Um, it would be Thor 2. That one. Like, what's going on in that, right? Thor's are the weakest part of the Marvel character universe. But anyways. Just opinion, just opinion, don't, don't tune out, don't tune out, no. But this, this resurrection, we go, well, what does that have to do with the rest of the story? Is there a creator of the universe? What are these questions, how do we answer the questions of origin? Where did we come from? How do we answer, what are we doing here now? Does Jesus come and answer, what's my purpose now? Do I, what are the morals that I might live by, and where are we going? When I die, what happens with that? These basic questions. We go, in the resurrection, does, is that it? You just say a tomb was empty, and boom, I'm supposed to like be different? I'm supposed to be satisfied with where I came from, where I'm at, and where I'm going? I mean, hasn't science told us that him as the creator is ridiculous? It's widespread, right? No scientists question their fellow authorities, right? wrong. The agnostic, not even a believer, physicist David Berlinski has written a cutting critique of of, uh, Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. Richard Dawkins, I think is fair to call a, a militant atheist. He wrote The God Delusion, and so Berlinski writes The Devil's Delusion as a challenge, and a really cutting challenge to Dawkins. And on the inside flap of the book, introducing his subject, he writes... Has anyone ever provided a proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe and why it's here? Not even close. Have the sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe anything so long as it is not religious thought? Close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy of thought and opinion within the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or in their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. Now, Berlinski doesn't dismiss the the achievements of of Western science, the the great theories that we have that are among the treasures of the human race, but they don't answer the questions religion asks. And all the big words and all the theories still don't get to the answers that we need. 
And there is a great bias to say, no, that's not even a possibility. Ravi Zacharias, a great, great apologist who goes, uh, a Christian, you'd, you'd want to call him a Christian preacher, but who he likes to preach to, they're not Christians. He likes to go into the belly of the beast at the academic institutions and talk to hostile audiences. He loves to tell this story of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. They had a little too much to drink. They were camping and they laid down. Holmes woke up in the middle of the night and he looked up at the sky and he elbows Watson and he says, Watson, look up. Tell me what you see. And Watson said, "Uh, well, I see millions and millions of stars. Sherlock says, well, what does that tell you? He thought about it for a little bit. Watson did. He said, well, astronomically, it tells me there's uh, millions of galaxies, potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn's in Leo. Orologically, I deduce that the time is a quarter after three in the morning. Theologically, I see that God is all-powerful and we're small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect we'll have a nice day tomorrow. It seems clear. What does it tell you, Sherlock? Holmes was silent for about 30 seconds and then, then said, Watson, you idiot. Somebody's stolen our tent. So all of the big stuff you could explain, you're missing what happened real close by in small, plain words. Now, everything in this world is not explained in just small, plain words, but so, words, but so much of it is. Pointing to a designer, a creator who, you know, Pythagoras unlocks, wow, look at that right triangle. Look what that, Ohm's law, look at that. Look at how electrical energy goes that way. Einstein's theory of relativity, that he can go in E equals MC squared. Well, I don't even know what that means. And scientists go, brilliant. And so Jesus comes along and says, love your neighbor and love God. And we should say, brilliant. He doesn't just, Christ just doesn't answer a question of where do we come from, but why are we here? In, in simplicity. You know, what walked out of that grave was not just Jesus. What walked out of that grave was hope. Hope for the future. Not just that someday we'll see grandma, right? You know, that we'll, we'll be reunited. But hope for now. Hope for now. You know, Ravi Zacharias likes to say this. He didn't come. Jesus didn't come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. And because of the hope of the resurrection, it changes our tomorrows. Because we know that justice one day, he's going to set the scales right. And so now we live not with vengeance in our hearts, but hope for the future in the judge who can judge justly. We live with hope for now and know that we have a solid moral ground to build our life on that says, you know what, my temporary trials don't compare to eternity. That material gain should not be my highest aim. I have hope in his justice. Not hope that life will turn out well. Because this hope has called some people to die. To die physically, because they wouldn't renounce the resurrection. But also, all of us are called to die to the lesser self, to the old self, so that we would be born again. You know, every Easter for me as a pastor is stressful. One, because I know that Reese's going to quit selling those eggs soon, and those are absolutely the best shaped Reese's experience. That's one. 
it's a, it's a large percentage. But the other percentage of what makes it stressful for me is, I don't want to say something stupid. Maybe that was stupid. Um, but I, I, I say stupid stuff probably every week, so I'm kind of used to it. I'm also, on Easter, you know, we have larger crowds, so you want to do a perfect sermon, right? Like, that's a thing. Um, like, we, any of us can perform flawlessly. You know, so there's, there's a little bit of pressure I put there on myself. But really, when we look at the resurrection, we are looking at this core foundation of belief. And when I preach, when I share with people, I don't want to just say stuff that I don't believe. I might not be performing perfectly in every aspect of what what I preach or teach about, but I want to share clearly from this word every week. But this week, when you talk about the resurrection, I get it that you can't just say, well, the Bible said he rose from the dead. And that's what makes the Bible true, right? Like, that's, that just doesn't work. Like, you, you show your work there. Like, you, that's, a, that's a fallacy there. And so it's a challenge every, every Easter. I don't necessarily have, like, a challenge of faith, but I go down to the foundation of why do I believe? Is it, is it just because I was born into a nice Christian home? Like, they're nice, right? Like, the, and so they framed everything that I saw in my life. I didn't have bad experiences. So everything I see through that Christian worldview, I was born in the United States, won the lottery, right? In just being, a, I should be a Christian. Is that why I believe? Is it, I believe in a creator because of the odds of creation. Like, if I were to smash a watch and throw it in my washing machine for a million years, I doubt very much that if I opened up that washing machine after any amount of time, I'm going to find my watch together and ticking. And so I go, I think, though I'm not a biologist, that DNA and, and all of the stuff that put together the cells that, that make life is a little harder than a watch to put together. We can't do it. And so I go, well, the odds are good there. And some people, you know, they do, I I don't know how to even check my sources on this, but they go, the odds of this even happening, there's not enough atoms in the universe. If you put the odds there, it doesn't work. Even if all of creation was just ooze that made organisms. Even Stephen Hawking in his Life in the Universe lecture, he, he says, well, Our sun's only been burning for 5 billion years. So to even get to a single cell organism, how would we even do that? And so he ends up, read it, he basically believes in aliens. Like, why did we give up the search for extraterrestrial intelligence? Why aren't we still listening? Because he thinks that's where we came from. And it's a thought. But is that where we came from? I, I can't go there. Is it, do I have faith just because it's inexplicable in history? These disciples, fishermen, common people, these are not kings who started a religion. These are just common, ordinary folk who nobody disagrees that Jesus was killed. But all of the disciples, save for John, we're to understand, died without recanting. They said, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's what happened. Do I believe just because it's, it's, it's termed Pascal's wager? Like, well, there could be a God, there couldn't be a God. Why not believe, you know, like just in case? Like, what do you got to lose? If you die and there's no heaven or hell, then, well, you, you're still just dead. But, you know, like, is that, is that how I want to live my life? Is just like hedging my bets? Like, is that, is that really how I want to live my life? So think about the resurrection, And did we just get it in history because these 11 guys, these women, said we saw him and everybody believed after that? Well, they they said so. Is that it? Or is our faith 
based in that he still does resurrections today, and this is where I want to point you, that that tomb was empty because dead people are still called to life today. He's still calling me from death to life. He's still making me new. And I belong to a community that is with you where we are seeing that he makes people come out of their graves. I don't have archaeological evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I was going to my burn barrel, the snow piles receded, and um, a few weeks ago, several of you were here, and we did this thing called cardboard testimonies, where people got up and held signs like this, that they were a survivor of domestic violence. And now they've been free and sober for 32 years. That people have been lost in sexual sin and now devoted to a Christ-centered marriage. That people who were raised with violence and alcoholism, now their family tree is forever different having loving homes, that people who have been assaulted and have been suicidal have been called to new life again, that people who have been abused and untrusting and again suicidal, God has called them back to life again. We had drug dealers share his testimony this week from where I stand at Celebrate Recovery, say I'm a Christ follower now. I don't have the video of Jesus rising from the dead. But if you would consider the source of people who have been assaulted and now have purpose, joy, and forgiveness in Christ. This is what we do. You do it on Amazon, right? Like you trust somebody who you've never met before to review a pencil sharpener that you're going to buy. And those can be fake. You never met that person. And so the disciples shared this good news, not by walking around with a book, but by walking around with the resurrection power active in their lives. And so our faith, our, every word in this book is true. It, it, and if you, would, if you would start to live by it, you go, wow, a lot of this is true. You could do it without believing in the resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you were to be pitied by all because we do put up with more. We do serve and we call service great. I mean, it, Jesus does flip some things. The proof of the resurrection, I would believe, is continued resurrection. The proof of the ridiculous is the continued ridiculousness of what is happening. Some of you are here today because you have seen somebody and go, something's happening with this person. I can't explain it. The explanation is this, is that a tomb was empty that many years ago. And because of that, God does ridiculous things in people's lives. I want to invite the worship team to come and we're going to sing a song as we end, but more important than that, we're going to pray. And some of you who have been hanging around, not the first time you've seen those cardboard testimonies, you need to say, you know what, I, I want to see that same sort of resurrection power in my life today. And as crazy as it sounds, all you got to do is receive that gift of new life. That's all. You just have to receive it. You can receive it with just a confession of your heart that Jesus is Lord. And so I want to give you a chance to pray during this time. Would you all stand? We'll turn down the lights a little bit. We're going to sing just uh, one of my, what's becoming one of my favorite songs. But I want to lead you in prayer. And if you need to pray and say, you know what, I need that hope, that hope that walked out of that grave, 
I want to test and see if that same resurrection power is active today. It is. It is. We've got people who will come up front. They'll pray with you. You won't be alone. So let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. And you can pray where you're at, or you can come up front and pray. Somebody will pray with you. Or you can come during the song and somebody will pray with you. Let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only Savior and the risen Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to come into my life at this moment. Pray this. God, I want that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead to come, not just into this room, but into my heart and into my soul. I don't want to just feel the goosebumps on my skin. I want my will to be surrendered to him. And so pray, God, as best as I know how, I turn my life over to your care and your control. Jesus, would you continue to call us back? Thank you for those who've responded to the invite, the call even from you above to come and check out what what God is doing among people who call themselves children of God. God, thank you that we have that right, that privilege to be called children of God. May we live like it. May we live like the resurrection happened, that the one who has the authority to come out of his own tomb, the power to come out of his own tomb, has the power to speak into our lives and guide us along the way. The one who can be trusted with our life, our death. And Father, would we find you to be all more capable than we could have ever imagined to manage, to direct, to lord our life. Would we be willing servants who would go where your Holy Spirit guides? Thanks for not leaving us alone. May today be just an unexpected Easter for brothers and sisters of mine people just like me who need to receive your grace each and every day. May this be a landmark day.